So this morning, I am picking up on a, a two-part series. Usually when you, you're a guest preacher, you just get to do one and then leave. But I, I got to do two, so I'm thankful for the opportunity. Thank you for having me here. And I'm encouraged as well. Many of you um, remembered what it is that we spoke on last week, and that's encouraging to, to a pastor, preacher. So I want to read this morning our passage, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. I'm going to ask you to do this. We stood for worship uh, through song. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you can, through the reading of the word, just showing God that we revere him and his word, and these are his words that we read. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." You may be seated. This is powerful stuff. Last week, I tried to explain that we will worry if we lose the battle, the war, on three different levels. And you'll see that, therefore, good students of the Bible will look back to see what Jesus was talking about. And I had mentioned that we would, we're going to lose the battle if our heart's focus and desire is on earthly things at the possession level. And you know that for when things are taken away, you really begin to see what, you, what, you, what has a grip on you. Um, no doubt. I was talking to chaplain, chaplain this morning. Mike, maybe? Jim. There's a couple chaplains in here. He was talking about how these, these people in, in paradise have lost houses, this whole church. We, we know that. We see the devastation from the news, but a whole church of 60 families and the pastors. When, when things are taken away, he, his job is so very important because he's coming in in between this. Now the people of God are going to have to really think about from this point on what they're going to perceive, what they're going to treasure it's so very important. I also said that the second front, the second war front that we, if we lose, uh, if we're going to worry, we'll lose in the, the perception level, how we see things, how we see things. And then thirdly, the, the, I, I 
said that we're, we're going to lose in the principality level and who we're worshiping. Uh, we're either worshiping God or we're going to worship the little g. Um, and we do that when we take on our own kingdom, our own will, and our own desires. So those were, that was the big picture of what Jesus was saying about not worrying. But this morning, I want you to consider Jonathan Edwards and his quote. He said, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. And I really think that Jonathan Edwards is getting at the heart of what Jesus is going to show us this morning. One of the greatest dangers for the church today is worldliness. Worldliness is something that we're, we are having, we, all of us, none of us have the immunity on this one. All of us have to deal with the world in which we live in. So stamping eternity on our eyeballs is the most applicable way that we can combat worldliness. Lou Priolo, a biblical counselor, he said the problem is with people, and I see it all the time, when you begin to meet with people one-on-one in counseling discipleship, the problem with most of them is if they're just looking at their eyes in their peripheral vision this way, whatever their eyes are looking at, and you think of a circle, what you're seeing life through is going to shape what's on the other side. And most people, us included, when we begin to worry, we begin to see through the spectrum of those three war fronts, and we're losing on one, one of those three, or maybe all three of them. And so that's how we're seeing God. So we can go through the motions, we can still go to church, we can still fellowship with one another, but the reality is, is we've got something else stamped, tattooed upon our eyeballs that's not allowing us to see what God sees in the midst of what you're going through. So this morning, I want to give you six ideas from Jesus' own teaching from the passage this morning that will help you, and here's the challenge, to put off and, and whatever you're seeing, whatever's stamped to your eyeballs, the worldly things, and to put on the heavenly things. And when we begin to see things through those lenses, our circumstances are not guaranteed to go away in whatever we're going through, but how we see those circumstances, how we observe those circumstances will help shape what's controlling our hearts. So let me give you six things this morning. So as, as disciples of Jesus, we need to learn how to see with new eyes. If our perception is Godward, then our motives and actions will be God-honoring. Here's the first one that we need to see. We need to first see our Lord. See our Lord. You see that in verse 25. Therefore, Jesus says, therefore I tell you, who's speaking? If I was at the mission, everybody would be like, Jesus, that's right. 
you learn the power of rhetorical questions in the mission, like you really do. Right, Dave? If you ask the wrong question, everyone's coming at you with all their theology, and you're like, what did I do? I need to get out of here. But church, churches are so well-behaved. <laughs> Jesus is speaking. That's the answer. Not the religious leaders, because that's the context. Those are the ones with the authority, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. Jesus is speaking, not anyone else. Today, who's, who's claiming the authority? Who are you listening to today? You cannot live in this world, this fallen world, and not hear competing voices who is it? Is it, is it re religion? Is it the watchtower? Are they speaking to you? Are they your authority? Is it the, the LGBT? Are they, are they speaking to you? Is it the Quran? Is it, is it Buddha? Are they, are they speaking to you? Is it modern day apostles or prophets? Are they speaking to you? Are you listening to them? Is it, is it maybe a psychologist? Is it a motivational speaker? Is it a popular author? Is it a talk show host? Is it, are you listening to dreams and visions today? Are you listening to your own heart? Things to think about as you're looking for a new pastor. Or are you listening to Jesus? Because Jesus has already spoken in the word of God. And he's the one that says, therefore. See, that carries so much more weight, doesn't it? If Jesus is speaking to you, think about who he is. This isn't Pastor Silva speaking to you. This is not Elder Chuck. This is, this is Jesus speaking to you. This is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. This is the one that's seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. This is the one who demonstrated authority over demons, over death, over dinner, over danger, over doctrines, over diseases. Just open up the word of God, read through the gospels and see who this is speaking. He has all authority to say what he says. So first of all, we need to see our Lord. We see our Lord speaking and then in verse 26, it says, yet your heavenly Father. So because of Jesus, verse 26 says that now we are only because of Christ directly related to the Father. We've been adopted in as sons and daughters through Jesus' perfect, sinless life and complete obedience to the Father, loving him with all his heart, mind, and soul as the second Adam, and loving others as himself, humbling himself to the point of death on a cross for us, for the glory of his Father. We are directly related to the Father through Christ. Number one, we need to see our Lord. Number two, now we need to go from that reality to common ground. We need to go in the mundane, where we are. Now we need to see our life. We need to see our Lord, and we need to see our life. And you see that in verse 25. Jesus says, 
do not be anxious about your life. Let's get real. What's life? Well, what you eat, what you eat, what you drink, about, about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? This is a, an example of the warring possessions from the previous verses. This can't be removed from what was said before. Jesus gives an example now of what the possession, losing the battle on the possession level, what that looks like. It looks like the things, the necessities of life and what you need, what you eat, what you drink, what you put on, your clothing. And he argues in several ways throughout throughout the Gospels, but in this way, he argues from the greater to the lesser. And what he says is you, your life is more important than food and the body and more important than clothing. Your life right now, according to God, is your life is more important than these other things, the necessities of life. So see your life, see your Lord, and do not be anxious. And we will be anxious if we lose on the possession level. Jesus is now going to give two lessons about trusting God with our daily needs. So we need to see our Lord, see our life, and now we need to see his lessons. That's number three. He first gives in verses 26 to 29 lessons about birds. Out of all things, right? But this is Jesus. Jesus was able to touch earth with his feet, the eternal God, with the Father, in perfect communion with the Father, with the Spirit. For all eternity, humbles himself to the point of death, walks the earth, touches down where people are in the midst of culture, in the moment, in the mundane, as they listen to him, he gives them a visual. He says, verse 26, look, look at the birds. And they're there. Good visual. This is more, this, is a, this look is, a, is an intensified look. It, it means consider, to look specifically at. It's the same word that was used, you know, when the disciples were baffled because Jesus is ascending back to heaven. Imagine that look. Have you ever seen anything like that? I can count on this hand how many things I've seen where I'm just like, man, I'm not writing that in the Bible or anything, but I know that was God that showed up right there. This had to be one of those moments for them. Seeing Jesus ascend back to heaven. That's the same word that Jesus is using here when he says, look, look with that intensity, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Is Jesus teaching a live and let God mentality? (laughs) Look at the birds. I feed them, so don't worry about anything. Don't even worry about getting up to go to work tomorrow. In fact, sell everything you have and just go across the world. Is that the call for everyone? 
be pretty depleted churches if you didn't have a, a home church. Everybody just left. But God uses different people in the body with different gifts. And we support one another as the body of Christ. You know, it's interesting. One of my favorite pastime activities, I, I like hate TV just because I think the enemy has his hand in it so much. And I'm so, my heart, my remaining sin heart so wants what the world is offering. So if I'm opening myself up to that all the time, guess what's probably going to happen? I'll just become more and more worldly. I don't need any help in that area. But one of the things I like watching on TV is Animal Planet. And I love it because they're like, they've got all the HD and then they got the narrators now. And I'm watching this bird right before I, you know, right before I'm putting the sermon together. God's timeliness, right? This, this father, you know, you can say what you want about deadbeat dads and, you know, them not doing anything. But this bird was a faithful dad. And the mama birds stay back with the little birds, and this bird would fly miles on end with the, where other bigger birds were and make himself prey to the bigger birds. All the while while he's trying to build up in his beaks, you know, beak, food so that he could bring it back to the young chitlins or whatever you want to call them, the young birds. The birds of the air, by way of observation, don't just sit around and wait. They just, the point is, Jesus is saying, they don't worry. That's where the Sermon on the Mount is at this point. So work, be faithful, be diligent, keep your jobs, but just don't worry about tomorrow. That's what Jesus is saying. And he says, no bird, are you more valuable than they we may have some bird lovers in here and you'd be like no birds are better than humans okay i'll take the chance on this one most of you know that humans are better than birds i'm gonna have like animal rights activists outside your church and i'm just gonna walk right by them and go home so just tell them i was a guest speaker here right just tell them we, he just comes here we don't we are you not more valuable than they? Jesus says, here it is again, the greater to the lesser argument. You, man, are greater than birds. Why? Well, a good anthropology will let you know that we were, humans are made in the image of God and birds are not. A good, a good soteriology, a good understanding about salvation will let you know that those of us who have been adopted in We've been born again to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No bird. Okay, I got to be careful here. <laughs> I can't say anything anymore with certainty. Most churches are not having bird altar calls, okay? <laughs> preach, you know, preach the word and then do a bird altar call. Seattle may have some dogs like coming forward. I don't know. They, they love their dogs there. But we have salvation. We are, we are greater than birds. And what Jesus is doing is he's trying to just get us to think. Because thinking, how, what we think about really matters. That's what usually ends up controlling our heart. The more that we think. The more what we think about things. So what do we think about? Well, we think about whatever's true. Whatever's lovely. Whatever's honorable. Whatever's excellent. Whatever's praiseworthy. 
think about these things. Philippians 4, verse 8. Begin to filter your thoughts through Scripture. The truth of the matter is, is that worry will not add a single hour to your span of life. Think about that. Your days on earth are measured anyways by God. Nobody can say with certainty, I'm going to live until whatever. But our culture doesn't say this, do they? The culture, the world in which we live, they, they alleviate worry. They, they try to extend life. They, they do worry about today because they believe they can control tomorrow. You know what it is. I mean, we live in, a, in America where exercise is, is elevated to a, to a high place. Dieting, I mean, just thinking about diets, I'm not picking on anybody, but I Googled some. You can blame Google, not me, for this. Paleo, uh, I don't even think I said that right. All you paleo junkies would be like, it's not paleo, it's paleo, or something. I don't know. Plexus, Atkins, South Beach Diet, Weight Watchers, or maybe it's just pills. Um, if you get the right pill, supplements, vitamins, Botox, physicals, working out, medical marijuana, meditation. We even have a guy that is more passionate about my pillow than most preachers are about preaching the gospel. <laughs> have you seen this guy? I had to get one. I just had to get it because the guy's like, he put his heart into this thing. He loves it. And you can wash it, it changes his life, he fluffes it, fluffs it, it doesn't, doesn't get ruined in any way, it just adds to your life. And I bought one. You know what I'm talking about. Who has a pillow in here? <laughs> he got you too, didn't he? <laughs> and it's really not that great, but every time I lay my head on it, I'm like, I just can't think. I think of this guy's family, and even he's a Christian, and I supported him. He's like my little pillow missionary. I love this guy. I got a picture of him on my refrigerator, it's just sitting up there. We're going to buy my pillow for people in our family for Christmas. You see, I can get into this stuff. Okay, I got carried away. I, didn't, I don't do that. So Jesus uses the lesson of the birds to let us know that, hey, don't worry. Check in on your perception on this. Did you forget? Have you not heard that you're, you're the, the peak of my creation? That you, you're made in my image? That those of you who have been born again, you've... You've, you've got the, the righteousness of my very son upon you. I care for you. I loved you. I died for you. But we tend to forget about that when we worry. We just do. We, we forget. So that's why these lessons are so important. Lesson number two, you'll see in verses 30 to 31, the lilies he's going to point to. Now he's going to point, he's pointing to the birds. Now he's pointing to flowers. But if God, verse 30 so close the grass of the world, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Again, lesser to greater. I don't have to beat this one up. Just think about it. And sometimes when you're worrying and you're going through th some things, the first Week of people last week, I asked you to write something down, something that you're worrying about. Just evaluate whatever you're worrying about through this grid that Jesus has given you. It'll begin to, to help you to see things biblically and see the God that you love and the God that loves you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. 
He doesn't just save you and then give you this period of warfare and then just pluck you out of it and bring you into heaven. No, the gospel is more than just salvation in the sense of saying a prayer. It moves you into life. You have eternal life now. And so now you're able to, through Christ and because of the disarming power and work of him on the cross, disarming from what? Disarming from sin, disarming from the world, disarming from the devil, the principalities that were against you, that held you in their grip. Jesus frees you from that. Amen? So as Christians, we, we live more like the old German shepherd we used to have in my backyard where it's most, one of the most fiercest dogs in the world and we got a fence about this high and he doesn't even know he can jump over it. It's pretty sad, you know? You look at this dog and you're like, dude, you're a German shepherd. I'm going to cage you in and humiliate you with a little fence. And you're just going to think you can't jump over it. But the reality is he can. I mean, they can jump over 10-foot fences. They could climb 10-foot fences and sniff out drugs and, and get the criminals and everything else. But are we like that? We've been born again. We have the righteousness of Christ in us. And we live sometimes a lot like the German shepherd in the backyard where hell's best kept secret, Ray Comfort, I'll give him that, is we don't know who we are in Christ. We just don't. That's the period of life we're living now. We're in that period of just getting to know who we are in Christ. And the only way you're going to grow is supplementing your faith by the word of God and, and all the other resources around you, God's people, his church. So it says you have little faith. You have little faith. So you could say that the first symptom, um, there, there are two symptoms that I keep an eye on, out for when it comes to worry, when people are talking to me. You can write this down for yourself or as, as you try to minister to other people. Number one, uh, the first symptom that I'm looking for if someone's worrying or they're anxious or they're fearful is I'm looking for verbal um, things that they say about what I know is idolatry. Idolatry. And Brad Bigney um, has written a great little book. I'll tell you what it is later when I remember it. But I'll just give you the, uh, the quote when he talks about an idol. This is what he says. An idol is anything or anyone that captures our hearts, minds, and affections more than God. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. I'll say it again, some of you guys are writing. An idol is anything or anyone that captures our hearts, minds, and affections more than God. That's the first symptom. So I'm filtering things through the three Ps of the first part of this passage. Where are they being won over by way of idolatry What's winning their heart over in the principality level? What's winning their heart over in the perception level? And what is winning their heart over? Is it the God who saved them? Are they living for him? Or are they living for their old self? That's number one. Idolatry is a key symptom to worry. Number two, Jesus just said here, unbelief. Unbelief. I've talked to so many people, older saints, who have been in the trenches of church life for years, 
faithful to the ministry, continuing in that, that, that salvation, working it out with fear and trembling. <clears throat> but I've talked to many, many people, many, many saints that'll begin to doubt their salvation. They've given in to worry. That concern has crossed over the spectrum into the worry, anxiety, and fear that Jesus combated unbelief more than any other thing, any other teaching. And, and I see him getting most frustrated with his, his disciples when they don't believe, when they don't believe. Because Jesus' whole purpose for being here, I think the whole purpose of Jesus' ministry, I heard John MacArthur say this, and I'll jump on his piggyback, get a piggyback right from him. But he says that Jesus was all about worship alignment. That's what he was about. That we were made worshipers of God, and Jesus came into a world that was dark, that was given over to the domain of the evil one. Jesus comes in as the light, shining his light into there, and his number one concern is bringing people back to the Father through worship. So we see the Lord, we see our life, we see his lessons, and now, fourthly, we see the lost in, verses, in verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. We forget. We get gospel amnesia. We forget the gospel sometimes. We forget Galatians 2.20, that it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, in the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Sometimes our worship gets realigned, unbeknowingly sometimes, and we resort back to the old self. We forget. What do we forget? We forget that we've been born again to a living hope. We forget that because we have, we know that God loves us, We know that he'll provide our every need so that we don't have to worry. And we forget that sometimes we can act like the lost, the Gentiles who don't know Christ. We all do this. Every single one of us, we do this. We say something we shouldn't say. Something gets taken away. We we blast out maybe profanity. We we do this and we think, where did that come from? Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean. It's what comes out of the man. Specifically, it's what comes out of the heart of man. For out of the heart come lists and lists and lists. So don't be, oh, where did that come from? Just say, I know where that came from. That came from remaining sin, the remaining old self that I have. And I need to walk in the spirit so that I will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we need to see the lost. Your heavenly father, I love this language. I started out with this because it lets you know this, this relationship that we have to the father, it's not a, I'm just up in heaven trying to smite you and wait for you to do the next thing and bring another accusation against you. That's not the father. That's the devil. My father-in-law says, Pastor Kerr, when the devil reminds you of your past, remind, you, remind him of his future, right? 
Here's what I do. I've taken it a step further. When I am reminded about my past and where I came from, I say, sometimes verbally, other times to myself, because verbally is like weird sometimes, you know? You'll be in the car. You'll be like, my son will be like, who are you talking to? Don't worry about it, you know? Talking to the devil, son. I say, thanks for the reminder. Yeah, because I'm, I'm reminded, thanks for the reminder. I'm reminded that I'm not saved by what I've done. Thank you for that. I'm reminded that Jesus died for that. Thank you. I'm reminded now, this is what guilt should do. I'm reminded now that I can go to Jesus who's seated at the, the right hand of the Father. And if I confess my sin, and yes, that was sin, I know that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Thanks for the reminder. If you're thinking with the right perspective, you'll be thinking in that direction. I like to say that I do that all the time, but I don't. So we need to see the lost. Fifth, we need to see our livelihood. And that's chapter 6, verse 33. But, this is the game changer. This is a conjunction but it's more than a conjunction. It's a divine conjunction. It was specifically put there by God for us because it changes things. But, game changer, if you want to worry about something, this is what Jesus is going to say. If you want to worry about something, worry about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. This is our livelihood. This is what we should be about. When worry comes, <clears throat> the focus of our energy should be on seeking God and seeking his kingdom, his righteousness. This is a changeless promise from Christ himself. This is a promise. Oftentimes you may have heard this very passage misquoted, taken out of context. Some of you may have caught on to that as I've taught these last couple weeks. But Jesus is saying, some people will say that God will provide for all, everything that we do. Um, no, that's not true. He'll provide for your needs. We saw that from Jesus himself. Some will say that God will provide for my clothing, for my, the things that I need. Yes, it does say that. But it, left to itself without the but, the promise really isn't guaranteed. Because there's a condition. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Focus in on that. Stamp that on your eyeballs as you go through things. And guess what? When you do that, you don't have to be anxious about anything. Do you think it's... E any wonder when Paul wrote the book of Philippians, they says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by what? Prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. What? what? What does that have to do with anything, Paul? Paul in jail, under the worst circumstances? Paul understood Matthew 6. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, worry, focus on that. And God takes care of the rest. And God does take care of the rest. I love this promise. 
Because despite whatever anybody's going through, I can look them in the eye and say, this is from Christ himself. He taught this. So we begin to see that that's our livelihood. And sixthly, in verse 34, we need to see our bottom line. Our bottom line. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God is not only the God of today, but he's the God of tomorrow. This is not your area of responsibility. Your area of responsibility is not worry, is, is worrying about seeking God, his kingdom, his righteousness. It's not you're going to be the provider. That's not your domain. That's God's domain. He owns that. And this is something that I see often in my own life, but also people that I minister to. The moment people stop trying to play God's job and just come under him and believe and trust in his promises is the moment they have the peace that surpasses all understanding in light of their circumstances. Because they know that God will provide for them because he loves them and they know that because he loves them, he's gonna seek his kingdom and seek his righteousness. Jesus knows the human heart. He knows that if we don't worry about things today, that may be some of you today. I'm not so worried about things today. But he knows tomorrow you'll be worrying about something. So he tackles the whole domain. We, we will find something to worry about as humans. We will. God's grace is sufficient for each moment. Let me close with um, MacArthur's words. God promises his grace for tomorrow and for every day thereafter, and through eternity. But he does not give us grace for tomorrow now. He only gives his grace today, at the time as it is needed, not as it may be anticipated. Let us, it says in Hebrews 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 and 9 says, Let us, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, the thorn, the hardship, whatever he's dealing with. But he said, Jesus said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness some of you need to hear that this morning Jesus says to you this morning as you go through whatever you're going through my grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in you and Paul turns around and he prays well if that's the case if that's the reality I pray that I can be all the more weak when have we heard someone pray like that you don't hear that much Right? Instead, it's, this is a long ways away from a supernatural ministry that's trying to say that it's not God's will for you to be healed. That's a long ways away. Paul is a long ways away from that. In fact, Paul would say to that mentality, yes, God does heal. He does. Paul believes that wholeheartedly. Why? Because he prayed three times for the thorn to go away. But there's another reality, the theology of suffering that's missing if you take that to its capacity. 
Because what will be missing in a ministry like that is the power of Christ. Why? Because the power of Christ is manifested in weakness and suffering. Friends, I work part-time at the hospital in town. And I got to tell you, I've seen a lot more faith in people who are weak with cancer because of this reality. So our bottom line needs to be, we're not going to worry because God's in charge. Let me give you some diagnostic tools, and I'll close with this. I'm going over because I can. This is my last week, right? If you guys, those of you who want to take notes, I thought this was incredibly helpful. I got it from my professor in in biblical counseling at Southern. With his permission, he said I can use it. If you want to assess your problem this morning with worry, let me give you something really down to earth, really practical. There are four statements, and I want you to consider which one you find most difficult to cling to this morning. Number one, God my Father knows what's best for me. God my Father knows what's best for me. Number two, God my Father is more than able to bring what is best for me. Are you struggling with any of those two? Number three, God my Father wants what is best for me. Number four, God my Father will always give me what is best for me. What's the solution to the worry? We need to put off idolatry and the three war fronts that I described last week. And we need to forsake unbelief. And we forsake unbelief by knowing that the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So how are you perceiving things this morning? Can you see your Lord this morning? Can you see your life, his lessons, the lost? What's your livelihood this morning? And in light of our Lord's teaching in Matthew 6, can you see the bottom line? To not be anxious about anything. Can you say in the spirit of Jonathan Edwards this morning that, Lord, I want to stamp this perspective, these perspectives to my eyeballs so that I can see circumstances of life a little differently. And I know that when I do that, you'll provide. And my God, closing in Philippians 4, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory of Christ. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen.